Sentire Media. Hello everyone. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 73, Frederick II Stupor Mundi, and a bit naughty. In the last episode, we saw Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II take full control. He managed to settle his empire in the south and in Germany, but very soon he had a run-in with the Pope over his hesitance to fulfill his coronation vow and lead a crusade to free Jerusalem. The situation actually ended up with Frederick getting excommunicated by Pope Gregory VIII, and it had been no use at all for Frederick to get friendly with the Sultan Al-Kamil and reach an agreement in which the Sultan actually handed over Jerusalem without bloodshed. Frederick had then reached an uneasy peace with the Pope, mostly via threat of force, which had given him time to do some elaborate lawmaking, resulting in the constitutions of Melfi. Although they were quite illuminated, they were still basically an assertion of centralised imperial power, and their application would cause trouble. In any case, by the mid-1230s, trouble was brewing left, right and centre, thanks also to the continuous rabble-rousing by Pope Gregory. Perhaps the greatest blow was to come from his own family, before we go there, it might be worth taking a look at his personal life. As always, don't feel obliged to remember the names of his wives and children, also because it's quite a soap opera. The time frame will go a bit further than the point in our narration, but we'll get back there. So, we said in the last episode that he got married at the age of 14 to Constance of Aragon in 1209, and had his first son just under two years later, Henry, the heir apparent to the Kingdom of Germany, the Kingdom of Sicily, the Kingdom of Italy, and the Holy Roman Empire. In 1220, with Constance still alive and well, he had an illegitimate child from a certain Adelaide of Urtlingen. The child was called Enzo, known in Italian as Enzo of Swabia, Enzo di Svevia, and in English as Enzo of Sardinia. Are you confused yet? No? Well, let's go on. Constance, the first wife, then died in 1222, and three years later, Frederick married Yolanda of Brienne, who in English is known as Isabella II of Jerusalem. Let's not even think about going there. Suffice it to say that it was from this marriage that Frederick would claim legitimacy as the King of Jerusalem. Now, when Frederick married Yolanda, or Isabel, or whoever she was, he hadn't actually seen her, and he was rather disappointed at her looks when he actually did. Apparently, she also had a rather difficult character, but that's really quite complicated for us to actually verify. She died just two years later, giving birth to their second child, Conrad, who would become Conrad IV of Germany. 
In the same year he married Yolanda or Isabella, Frederick met the woman that many believed was the true love of his life, a Piedmontese noblewoman called Bianca Lancia. He would continue life with her as if they were married, without ever actually doing so except at the very end. Meanwhile, he had three children from her, one of whom was Manfred, Manfredi, in 1232. In 1235, Frederick married Isabel of England. Wary this time of how things had gone with the previous wife, Yolanda II, he sent one of his trusted advisers, Pierre de la Vigne, to check out the new fiancée first and got good reports on her. In the end, they had four children together, so something must have gone in the right direction. However, Isabella spent the last few years of her life in seclusion, scandalised by her husband's behaviour, particularly sexual behaviour. Apparently, not only were the things he requested of his wife, let's say, irregular, but she apparently also once walked in on him, um, enjoying himself immensely with many different people, both male and female. Obviously, you always have to be a bit careful with what could have been a bit of anti-imperial church propaganda. But we can say that Frederick knew how to enjoy himself. And we'll get into that a bit more in a minute. Isabella of England died in 1141, and sometime after that, and before his death, Frederick finally married the love of his life, Bianca Lancia of Piedmont. Apparently, this was her request to try and repair in part for the fact that they had had their children out of wedlock, and Frederick happily granted her dying wish although the marriage was not recognised by the church. So, from his marital life, we get part of the picture of who Frederick II was. But there's more to consider. We've understood that he knew how to enjoy life. Indeed, he surrounded himself with jesters, minstrels, jugglers, pages, and, borrowing from the Eastern and Muslim cultures, eunuchs and odalisks the latter being a sort of chambermaid for the sultans who could also become a concubine in the harem once the ruler had seen fit to take her virginity. Frederick took good care of all of his jesters and jugglers and odalisks and so on, seeing to their education, making sure they stayed healthy and even sending them off for holidays if the situation required. The great care he also showed to his male attendants and entertainers was in part behind the accusations of him being homosexual, although bisexual would be perhaps more precise if that was the case. Listeners will remember that Frederick had basically created a Muslim city, Lucera in Puglia, when he had moved around 15,000 Muslims there after the rebellion in Sicily in the 1220s. Well, if you were going to have a Muslim city then you might just as well have a harem in it, and so Frederick did. As well as people, and women in particular, Frederick also loved animals and nature. He had his own personal zoo, and even knew how to care for all the animals in it himself. Not to mention his being absolutely nuts about falcons, and indeed, in many of the images we see of him, these birds appear. We mentioned that he even wrote a book on falconry, 
De Arte Venandi con Avibus. That became a medieval bestseller and was considered an excellent example of literature, so it wasn't just all fun and games. Indeed, as well as being a great conversationalist and a witty host, he was also an intellectual with an open, curious mind, bringing together Western, Greek and Muslim thought and believing and actually declaring that nothing should be taken as absolute dogma and that truth should be analysed using the scientific method, or let's say a precursor to the scientific method. This sort of openness also attracted other intellectuals. We mentioned before Pierre de la Vigne, a diplomat and also writer, but there was also a famous astronomer at the time, Michele Scotto. With all of the interest in literature in general, the court of Frederick is credited with being one of the first strong impulses towards the creation of the Italian language, which was taking form by now, having evolved from the Latin of antiquity. Frederick II was considered, and still is then, and now at least by his supporters, as a bridge between East and West, and having set out the early building blocks of the Renaissance. So, that is the man, at least one side of him, to keep in mind as we move into the twilight years of his reign. The first blow came in the year 1235, when a rebellion of the German and northern Italian vassals and cities found a rallying point around none other than Henry, the first-born son of Frederick and Constance of Aragon. The emperor quickly put down the rebellion and treated his son just like any other rebel. Despite the fact that he had dramatically thrown himself at his father's feet begging for forgiveness, he was locked away and later died after falling from his horse, as he was being transferred from one prison to another. This was thought by some to be an act of suicide. It was then the turn of the northern cities, the ones who had been such a thorn in the side of Frederick's grandfather, Frederick Barbarossa. Now, it would be wrong to say that there had been neither battles nor skirmishes since the great victory of the communes at Legnano in 1176. The Italian cities were constantly fighting each other, and as the 13th century progressed, we have seen that they lined up as pro-papal Guelphs on one side and pro-imperial Ghibellines on the other. However, now, after he had put down his son's rebellion, it was once again time for a major clash between the Holy Roman Emperor and the Communes. Like in the past, and perhaps even more this time around, it was by no means a case of German Imperials versus Italian Communes. Frederick and his around 2,000 knights were joined by troops from Padova, Treviso, Trento, Vicenza and Verona, as well as some Tuscans, and then troops from Pavia, Modena, Cremona, Parma and Reggio Emilia as well as, obviously, Frederick's Sicilians and his Muslim archers. This for a total of around twelve to 15,000 men, possibly double the size of the communal forces, once again grouped under the standard of the Lombard League. It was the autumn of 1237, 
and the troops of the Lombard League had to move very quickly to outmaneuver such a formidable force. And, thanks to the effective command of Pietro Tiepolo, son of the Venetian doge Jacopo Tiepolo, they not only managed to do so, but also to occupy a highly advantageous position on the other side of the river Olio from the imperial forces. Frederick was in check. Although he had more troops, he was in an unfavourable position and supplies were running out. It was at this time that the emperor opted for a little espionage and trickery. He let it leak out that he was giving up for the moment and heading back to Cremona for the winter. The League took the ruse, hook, line and sinker. They actually disbanded some of the volunteers among their ranks and crossed the river Olio. It was at this point, near a town called Corte Nuova, that the imperial troops fell upon them. The first to attack were the formidable German knights and the highly effective Muslim archers who crashed into the Milanese and the men of Piacenza. It went all downhill from there. In the end, it was just a question of hunting down the fleeing men of the Lombard League, many of whom drowned in the Olio or Serio rivers rather than be captured, although there were around 5,000 prisoners, among whom was Pietro Tiepolo. Frederick entered into the city of Cremona in triumph with the Carroccio, the war cart, symbol of communal independence, as his trophy. He later sent it to Rome with Tiepolo tied to it as a message to the Pope. Tiepolo spent some time in prison in Puglia and was later executed, gaining Frederick the hate of the Republic of Venice. For the moment, with the victory of Corte Nuova, Frederick had avenged his grandfather's defeat at Legnano. In Italian we would say uno a uno e palla al centro. It's one to one and the ball goes back to centre field. Before the match got going again, for now, the German chroniclers had their Legnano to gloat about. For now. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my Patreon supporters. This week we're thanking the Matilde Di Canossa and Giuseppe Mazzini level, Aaron, Benjamin, Deborah, Eric R, Lorenzo, Maddie, Mattia, Paul, Scott, Thomas and YR, and as always the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Andrew, Anthony, Selene, Chris, Daniel, Dean, Greg, Ignazio, Jay, Caitlin, Kevin, Marxist-Leninist Sicilian and reactionary Venetian, Roberta Rodney, Shelby, Stephen and Vincent, and as always the tippy-top, Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level, Sen, Paolo and Lisa Kay. Remember, if you want, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com to ask a question, make a comment or just say hello, why not? At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com you can click through to our social media. We are on Twitter and Facebook. And on the support page, if you're feeling really generous, you can join the others at Patreon or put in a one-off donation via PayPal. Thank you very much for your support. Until next time, thanks again to everyone for listening and arrivederci.
Someone's just a, a few musicians. Musicians? Uh, yeah, 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 you know, to relax, you know, while I'm doing secret emperor stuff. Uh, um, and maybe a few dancers. Dancers? Uh, yeah, yeah, dancers and musicians, and um, maybe a few jugglers, and maybe a few jesters. What's going on? Can you let me in, please? Yes, but uh, just so you know, it was really, really hot and, well, not many of us have many clothes. Well, there is a room full of naked people there. Yeah, just people. Uh, definitely just people. Sentire Media Hey podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.